How's your heart this morning? Oh, come, let us adore him. Come. come. Let us adore him. How's that going for you? How are you doing at adoring him? If we're honest this morning, if we're honest with one another, if you're honest with yourself, many of us this morning would say, you know what? I'm struggling to adore him. I'm struggling to adore him. And for some of you this morning, you struggle to adore him because you adore your sin more than him. For others of you, you struggle to adore him because you adore your stuff more than you adore him. Others, you adore yourself more than you adore him. Maybe for some of you this morning, you struggle to adore him because you're mad at him. You're just mad at him because you believe that he dealt you a, a bad hand in life. And so you're just mad at him. And why should you adore him? For some, you're struggling to adore him because your heart is filled with shame from choices you made last night, choices you made two weeks ago, choices you made 20 years ago. And so you struggle to adore him because of shame. And for others, you struggle to adore him because your heart is so filled with guilt of sin over your past and your present. And you've been trying to satisfy that guilt in so many different ways other than looking to him. And you're not adoring him. You're struggling to adore him because your heart is loaded and weighed down with guilt of sin. We're struggling to adore him. Maybe that's you this morning. Listen, we were created to adore him, to treasure him. So why then do we struggle to adore him? Why? I want you to imagine for a moment that your heart is a kingdom because in many ways it is. Every heart is a kingdom. Every kingdom has a throne, and every throne has a king. And I want you to imagine that your heart looks like a kingdom, and I want you to visualize a map of a kingdom like Middle Earth, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, or, or a map like uh, King Arthur's Camelot, if you will. I want you to envision your heart looking like a kingdom this morning. And a kingdom has towns and villages, and if I were to enter the kingdom of your heart, this morning and travel around and I were to come across the town called for some of you your marriage and if I were to hang out in that town for a couple days for some of you I might see bitterness I might see selfishness I might see anger and ultimately what I would see is a rebellion going on in that town a rebellion to the king Someone else is trying to get the king's throne in that town or village. 
And for others of you, if I were to enter the kingdom of your heart, I would travel down and I'd go down the pathway and I might come to a town called your pocketbook, your bank account. And if I stayed there, hung out in that town for a couple of days and kind of saw how things played out and, yeah, you say that the king, he's, he's the king of your heart, but he's not the king of that town from what I can tell. Oh, you got all kinds of, you're, you got, you're giving, you're just not giving to the king. And there's a rebellion going on in that town of your heart. For others of you, if I'm really sly and sneaky, I go over the river and through the woods to a very dark and deep village. And it's only one a village with one home, and it's just got a room for one. And for some of you, this name of this town is called Pleasure. And if I hung out in that town for a little bit, it actually has a different name, another name for some, and it's called Pornography, Lust. And I'd begin to see real quickly, wow, there's a rebellion against the king going on in that town in that village of your heart. For others, I would travel and I would see a town called your divorce. I would see a town called your ex. I'd see a town maybe called your kids, your career. And so we traveled through the kingdom of your heart and we saw all these things and what we begin to see is maybe there's rebellion going on in some of these towns or villages of your heart. And see, we struggle to adore the king because we're refusing to allow the king to come and have rule over those towns and villages of our hearts. And so, if we want to get back to adoring the king, we got to allow the king to come and rule these towns. And he's the king of your heart anyway. He's the one who created your heart, created you to, to worship him, to adore him. It's just that we like to crawl back on the throne in some of those towns and villages. And when we do, we struggle to adore him. I mean, if you've got three or four rebellions going on, it makes sense that you would struggle to adore the king. I would struggle to adore the king. So what do we do? Get off the throne. Stop acting like you're king or queen of your heart because you're not. You're not a very good one. I mean, he's much better at it than you or me. You get off the throne. Stop acting like you're the king or queen of your heart because you're not. Okay, that sounds real simple. So how do I get off the throne of those towns and villages of my heart? How do I allow this king to come and rule those towns and villages of my heart? Here's how you allow the king to come and rule the towns and villages of your heart. You start adoring the king who came to rescue your heart. So I need to get off the throne of my heart. I need to allow the king to come to rule these towns and villages of my heart by adoring the king who came to rescue my heart. Yes. How do I then adore the king who came to rescue my heart? You acknowledge the king for who he is. Not for who you want him to be or who you would like him to be, but for who he said he is. And so this morning, I just want to look at a very unfamiliar Christmas passage. And I want us to come. And I want us to adore the king who came at Christmas. 
the king who came at Christmas. Who is this king? And when you see who this king is, you'll say, yeah, it makes sense that he should be sitting on the throne of these towns and villages of my heart. So join me in the Gospel of John, John chapter 18. As I said, it's a very unfamiliar Christmas passage. The Gospel of John, and for some of you, it's, if you're new to the Bible, it's near the back of your Bibles. If you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to use that. The Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is really a biography about the person of Jesus Christ. It was written by many believed to say, believe that John was the closest friend of Jesus. So John is an eyewitness of Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He heard Jesus speak. He heard Jesus talk. He saw Jesus do all kinds of miracles. And so this is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 18, he reveals to us a conversation that Jesus has And it's in this conversation that Jesus has with a Roman ruler that Jesus reveals to us certain attributes about who he is as a king. And I believe that when we take a look again and just scratch the very surface of who this King Jesus is, my hope and prayer is that we'll see that, yeah, he's worthy of our adoration and he's definitely worthy of sitting on the throne of the towns and villages of our hearts. So John chapter 18 Look at verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace of a Gentile. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? And they said, If you weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. We wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people, your chief priests. Notice the irony there. It was your people, your chief priests, who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right. In saying I'm a king, enter Christmas. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. It's not the most famous Christmas passage, is it? It's not the one we read growing up. But it does speak of Jesus' birth. It does speak of him being born. Let me paint the scene for you a little bit. Jesus' hands are most likely bound as he's standing before Pilate. He's 
probably blindfolded. He's been punched in the face. His face is swollen. He's bloodied. He's a bloody mess. And he stands before them. He's been mocked. He's been spit upon. And now he stands before a Roman official who has the government ability and authority to set him free. And Jesus is just moments away from experiencing the most excruciating torture of the time, crucifixion. And even more so, he's just moments away from experiencing the wrath of God, the judgment of God for your sin and mine upon himself on that cross. And so here he stands. And John allows us a window into this conversation. And in this conversation between Pilate and Jesus, we begin to see Jesus reveal some truths about who he is as a king, some truths about who he is as a king. Well, so who is this king that we have been created to adore? Well, Jesus, look in verse 37. He says, you are right in saying, I am a king. The first thing we need to establish is Jesus is a king. He's a king. He's a leader of people. He says it right here. He says, you're right in saying, indeed, I am a king. He doesn't say, I'm going to be king. I was a king. I was thinking about being a king. That's a pretty good idea. Maybe I should be a king. He says, no, right now, present tense, I am king. Right now, in this moment, as he's standing there, a bloodied mess, he says, you're right in saying, I, I'm a king. So here you have Jesus standing before this political leader of Rome, right? Those are fighting words to have someone stand before you and a Roman official and tell them, yes, you're right, I'm a king. That should be reason enough for Pilate to say, yes, take him out, crucify him. But what's Pilate's response? Jesus says he's a king. The Magi said he was a king. Matthew chapter 2, when they approached Herod, they said, hey, where is this one who is born king of the Jews? The angel, when she went to Mary, she said, hey, listen, the son that you're going to give birth to, he's going to reign on David's throne, and his kingdom is going to last forever. So the angel comes, the king is coming, the magi, they recognize, hey, there's a king that has come. Jesus himself declares that I am a king. Right now, in this moment, I am a king. Can you feel the tension, though, here? He's standing before Pilate, and he's telling him, you're right. It's just as you said, I'm a king. Now try to see this through Pilate's eyes for a moment. Feel the tension. It's interesting to me Pilate's response, right? He says, verse 38, what is truth? With this he went out again to the Jews and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. What? Serious? No basis for a charge? He's just told you that he's a king. And Pilate's using the eyeball test. He's looking at this king right? This king, he's a bloodied mess, hands bound, eyes blindfolded, been punched in the face, face swollen. Pilate's going, there is no way this guy is a king. When we came and got him, all his buddies deserted him. They left him on his own. There's no one here but him. He's not a king. Just by looking at him, he's not a king. There's no way. I find no basis for a charge against him. But listen, just because Jesus doesn't look like a king or the king you think he should look like, doesn't mean that he isn't a king. And see, some of yours this morning, you're like Pilate. You're going, you know, Jesus, maybe he's just a good teacher, a good moral guy to follow. Jesus never said that. 
Jesus said, I'm a king. Listen, Jesus is not some first century Gandhi. He's not some first century Nelson Mandela. He's not some first century just good teacher. He is a king. So what kind of king is he? This king that we've been called to adore. Well, Jesus tells us, he reveals to us the kind of king that he is. So who is this Jesus that has come at Christmas? Look at verse 36. Jesus reveals some truth about who he is. What kind of king? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. What kind of king is he? He's a king that's not from around here. He's not from these parts. I grew up in a town north of Columbus, Ohio called Mount Vernon. As a kid, it was about twenty-five to 30,000 people. And what we did for, for fun on the weekend was we hopped into somebody's car or truck, and we traveled around the town square. Yes, it goes like this, and we called it a square. And we would drive around the town square over and over and over again. And when that got boring, we would go to the local Burger King and grab a Coke. And when that got boring, hey, let's go play some ball. Hey, nobody that works at Hardee's? Absolutely. Maybe we'll give us free strawberry shakes. So after playing ball, we'd head over to our buddy Ken, Ken, who worked at the Hardee's, and, hey, Ken, can you give us some free strawberry shakes? Absolutely, man. It's after hours. Cool. That's what we did. That's where I'm from. Jesus isn't from there, thankfully. So where is he from? He said he's a king, so where is he a king? Remember the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth where? As it is. Where? Heaven. So the Father's in heaven where you expect the Son to come from. Heaven. Jesus himself in Mark chapter 14, looking at the chief priest, he said this. He said, listen, you're going to see me, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming in the clouds of heaven. He's talking about his return. He goes home, and he's coming back. And where's he coming from? He's coming from heaven. He's coming from heaven. So this king that's standing before Pilate, do you know who this king is? This is heaven's king. This is who Jesus is. He's heaven's king. This is heaven's king that has come at Christmas. Go with me to the, keep your finger in John chapter 18 and go to Revelation chapter 19. I want to show you a picture, an incredible picture of heaven's king, this king Jesus. Revelation chapter 19. Verses 11 through 16. Just imagine this picture, this. John, again, the author of the Gospel of John, is writing this. He sees this. He gets a picture, another window into heaven to see Jesus standing there. And he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. No, no more crown of thorns. On this, this time we see him wearing a crown of crowns. 
And he says he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And that's why we know this is Jesus, because John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. This is Jesus that he's seeing, and he's seeing that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And you and I want to sit on the throne of our hearts? When we have a king like this, and he says, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is heaven's king. This is heaven's king. Listen, somebody said, listen, when, when a king comes wearing white, riding on a white horse, he's not planning on getting dirty. He's coming to win, and he's not going to get dirty. The only thing dirty on him is, is his robe dipped in blood, and that tells you you got a king who will go to battle for you, a king who went to battle for you, went to the cross for you and me, and dipped himself in blood, blood poured out of him. This is heaven's king, and he's riding on a white horse. He's wearing white. He's called faithful and true. Listen, is your heart longing for someone to be faithful to you, someone who will be truthful to you? you got a heaven's king who will be it all for you. He'll be faithful to you. He'll be truthful to you. He comes with justice. Is your heart looking for justice? We have a king, heaven's king, who's a just king. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, a robe dipped in blood. Is your heart looking for a king that's willing to lay down his life for you, willing to take the hit for you? We have a king like that, and his name is Jesus. He's got armies following him. Is your heart longing for someone to follow? You have a king worthy of being followed, and his name is Jesus. We have a perfect king and perfect glory. And this king came at Christmas. Look at verse, if you go back to John 18, he says in verse 37, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came. So you have a heaven's king dressed in white, riding a white horse, who t- takes off his white robe, gets down from the throne, gets down from his horse, and he comes. And he came. This perfect God came. This conquering warrior of heaven with armies and angels and surrounding glory and majesty and singing, he's experiencing all of that, and he says, I will come. I will come. And here we have this amazing king who came to us, and that's what Christmas is all about. You see, Christmas is more about declaration than decoration. The declaration that heaven's king came to rescue the kingdom of our hearts. That's what Christmas is all about. It's more about declaration than decoration. The declaration that the king of heaven, heaven's king, came to rescue the kingdom of your heart this morning. Because Jesus is heaven's king who came, you can trust him to conquer the battles within your heart. You can trust him to conquer those battles, those towns and villages where you're sitting on the throne. You can trust him to conquer it, to win it. He's heaven's king. This is the king who came. And Jesus goes on. We have a heaven's king. And then he goes on. He describes more about himself. He says, you're right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, he says. I was 
born. And that speaks of his humanity. So we have heaven's king, and then Jesus tells us he's humanity's king. And because he's heaven's king, he's a perfect king, he can be the perfect sacrifice you and I need to take the judgment for our sins. And now he tells us that he's humanity's king. Why? Because he was born. Why was he born? He says, tells us, for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. He says, I was born to tell the truth. I came to tell you the truth, and the truth is this. You want to know what the truth is? The truth is that Jesus is the truth, because he said he was. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's the truth. Jesus is truth. And here's some more truth. Jesus comes, and he builds a kingdom, perfect kingdom, Genesis. You can read about it. And then Satan comes along, and you and I messed it all up because we chose to put ourselves on the throne rather than trust the king that was already on the throne. And when that happened, everything broke. You're a sinner, and you're in need of a king, and your heart has been created for that king. But because of your sin against the king, the king came. When he didn't have to, but he wanted to because he loves you, because he knows that life best for you is when he's sitting on the throne of the kingdom of your heart. And so this king comes because his kingdom was stolen. And Colossians tells us that he came to rescue us out of the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his, which is light. And then the truth is this, that those who turn from their sin, their rebellion against the king, and accept the king for who he is as king of kings, Lord and Lord's savior of their heart, rescuer of their heart, those that accept the king for who he is, this is what happens to them. They're no longer condemned by the king, but they now sit with the king at his table forever. That's the truth. That's what Jesus came to testify to. This is heaven's king who has come to rescue humanity, to rescue your heart from your own rebellion, to rescue my heart from my own sin. And he made it possible when he went to the cross and poured out his blood for you and me. And three days later, that payment was accepted through his resurrection. That's heaven's king who came because he loves you and because he loves me. A king who loses the glories of heaven to pursue me like that. A king who comes to rescue his kingdom that's been stolen. A king who gets off his throne. A king who gets off his horse, who lays aside his royal robe, who comes down, willingly puts aside his kingliness, ends up on a cross to rescue and forgive my heart, your heart, from my rebellion against him. A king who comes to rescue me from my enemy of Satan and self, of selfishness, sin, brokenness. That's a king I want sitting on the throne of my heart. Because he's a way better king than I could ever be. And when we look at the king and we see him for who he is, we begin to adore him for who he is. We begin to adore him. He's humanity's king, and because he's humanity's king, you can trust him to understand the needs of your heart this morning. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 5, he says, During his life on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Jesus gets your pain. Jesus understands abandonment. He understands loneliness. He understands it when people betray you. He understands sorrow. He understands grief because he's humanity's king. Some of you know that Andrea and our family, we spent some time over in Dublin, Ireland doing some church work over there. And this was 2007, early 2007. We arrived and Andrea was, uh, was pregnant and some of you know the story, and, and we didn't really know anyone, and she was early in pregnancy, 
And we're still figuring out which end is up. We didn't really know people, didn't have any friends at that time, people we could trust. And come to find out, early, early weeks of arriving into Dublin Iron, of people we didn't know, a place we didn't know, didn't even know how to get to places, didn't have a car, didn't know how to drive, she was experiencing a miscarriage. And on top of this, some people had asked us to house some Irish people we didn't know. And so we said, sure. So they're sitting in our, in our house, and we're experiencing all of this together. And she's having to go to the hospital, hospital, hospital we've never experienced before, on her own, get on a bus by herself because we don't know anybody to watch the kids. So I'm staying back home in our little place in Ireland while she's going to a hospital, and I have no idea what's going on. And you know, during those time, that time of the miscarriage, we just kind of, we just got through it. We just, we just kind of got through it. But it was a couple of years ago when we sat down with some church leaders and they began asking us some questions to describe a time in your life when you experienced grief. And I'll be honest with you, up to that point, I'd kind of blocked that whole situation that took place in Ireland out of my mind until that moment. And in that moment... The tears just flowed out of me. That grief just hit me like crazy. Because in that moment, looking back, it just felt so alone. Who do you talk to? Who do you run to? We don't know anyone. How do you explain this to your kids? Their world's turned upside down. All this stuff, just alone. And I can tell you from personal testimony this morning that my Jesus is a humanity's king because he understood the needs of my heart. And it was because he understood the needs of my heart that he got us through that time. And he understands the needs of your heart this morning. He gets you. He understands you. And because he came to you, was born, he understands the needs of your heart this morning. But he goes on. He says, I'm heaven's king. He says, I'm humanity's king. And then finally, he says, I'm a king who can be heard. Look what he says. He says, for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth, what? Listens to me. Hears me, he says. And because he can be heard, you know what that tells you? He can be known. Because he can be heard, he can be known. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 10. He said this, he said, my sheep, I know them. They listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And he who belongs to God hears what God says. If you know heaven's king, then you will know Jesus. And then you can hear Jesus. You have a relationship with Jesus. This heaven's, yes, right now this, you can have a real life relationship with heaven's king because he came and because he can be heard. You know, think about that. We could have five bazillion babies in the nursery right now. And they, okay, we could have, I don't know if we do, probably not, hopefully not for the workers, but we could have five bazillion babies, right? And all their moms could be sitting in this room, and two of them could cry. So you, get, so you have five bazillion moms. Two of them could cry, two babies could cry, and only two moms would, the, the right two moms would get up and go. Why? They know the voice. They know the cry, right? That's mine. Mine again. Be back in a little bit. 
right? Why? Why do they do? They know the voice. They recognize the voice. And then what's the baby do when mom comes in? <laughs> Just playing with you. Yeah, I got what I want. That's right. Hello. Thank you very much. I was just playing with you. Good. And then mom leaves. Meh. Okay, goes on. They know the voice. They reckon there's a relationship there. And Jesus is saying, listen, because I'm a king who can be heard, I'm a king who can be known. You can know heaven's king, this king, this warrior king that's wearing white, with right, sitting on the throne, riding a white horse, coming with armies. You can know that king this morning. And he can sit on the throne of the kingdom of your heart. Because he is the king of your heart this morning. You see, this is heaven's king. And because he's heaven's king, he can conquer the battles within the kingdom of your heart. And because he's uh, humanity's king, he can understand the needs of your heart. And because he's a king who can be heard, you can know him with all of your heart. And he can know you. So who is ruling the kingdom of your heart this morning? Who's ruling the kingdom of your heart? You see, accepting the king's rule, allowing the king to come rule over your heart, begins with adoring this king who came to rescue your heart. And adoring this king who came to rescue your heart comes from acknowledging the king for who he is, that he's heaven's king, he's humanity's king, and he's a king who can be heard. That's my king. That's my king. Do you know him this morning? Is he your king? Do you know him? Father, we come to you and we call out to you. And we thank you so much for sending heaven's king to us. Before I finish my prayer, I'm just going to ask all of us to stand, if you would. Just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I want you to ask yourself, how are you doing at adoring him, heaven's king, humanity's king, the king who can be heard? How's that going for you this morning? We're going to sing a simple chorus here in a moment, and as we sing it, I just pray that it's the echo of your heart this morning, and you would make it your prayer. I want you to know this morning that if you came here and you're desperate to have your sins forgiven, you have a perfect king who came, put himself on a cross, and came back to life three days later. And by looking to him and him alone, you too can receive forgiveness of your sins this morning. You can have the king of kings sit on the throne of your heart this morning. And for others of you this morning, you just need to repent Because you've been sitting on the throne of certain towns and villages and you need to tell him you're sorry and you need to let him on the throne again. I pray that whatever he's saying to you in this moment, you would respond. Because we have heaven's king, humanity's king, and a king who can be heard. And Lord Jesus, we give this to you. Make us a church, a people who truly come and adore you. Oh, come, let us adore you this morning, Jesus. Amen.